You're listening to a message from Redeemer Bible Church. We hope you'll visit us in person, or you can find more messages like this one at... Please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. The scripture passage for this morning is Daniel 6, verses 1 through 10. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful, and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors, are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Father, as we have gathered together in the first week of this new year, we come to you just like we did last year, desperate, desperate for your grace, desperate for your wisdom, desperate for your word. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would attend to the preaching of the word. It has been so richly encouraging already to sing with the saints, to sing about the most important truths, to sing about the gospel, but not simply to sing about it, but to sing the truth that has transformed our lives. This is ours in Christ. And so we thank you for all that you have given to us in Christ. And we ask that ultimately our eyes would be fixed on him. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As most of you know, I come from a family of four boys. As far back as I have memories, our lives were marked by competition. Everything was a competition. Everything. 
I'm convinced that my poor mother thought this overwhelming competitiveness would pass away as we got older. Well, we're all in our 40s now and absolutely nothing has changed. Whether it's some ridiculous game we're playing in a family gathering or what's supposed to be a lazy game of cornhole, before long, someone will be looking up the official rules online or arguing about a scoring technicality. Uh, One of the activities we enjoy when we're all together is, again, what is supposed to be a leisurely round of golf. None of us are very good at the game of golf, but this doesn't stop us from competing with each other. An interesting development is that one of my nephews is now a PGA associate training to become a teaching professional. So when we go out golfing, we're always asking him for pointers because we want to win. I've been amazed as my nephew is giving out advice how many times he says something very simple, something like, Uncle Jason, look where you're aimed. (laughs) The hole is over there. In defense of myself, in those moments, I'm I'm thinking so much about my swing and the the mechanics of hitting the ball well that I'm overlooking something as basic as where I'm aimed. If my nephew doesn't offer me a simple corrective, I may swing the club perfectly, and it may feel like a very satisfying shot, but in the end, I will completely miss the mark because I didn't pay attention to where I was aimed. Friends, as you pause near the beginning of a new year and evaluate your life, And think about things you'd like to change as you consider various resolutions and goals. I have a simple encouragement for you. Pay attention to where you're aimed. And make sure you're aimed at faithfulness. With confidence, I can call every follower of Christ to pursue faithfulness. I know that this is what God desires for each and every one of us. Faithfulness is not only a work of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22, but it's also what every redeemed sinner longs to hear when they're welcomed into the presence of Christ. Well done, good and faithful servant. Brothers and sisters, in all your goals and resolutions, in all your dreams and desires for this new year, don't overlook that which God himself values. Resolve even today to pursue the often overlooked and culturally unpopular and non-headline grabbing virtue of faithfulness to Christ. Now, how does one aim at faithfulness or seek to pursue and cultivate faithfulness? There are many ways to answer this question, but here's my plan this morning. I want to put before us a biblical example. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the Apostle Paul explains that the Old Testament is given to us in part to provide us with examples, both positive and negative, things we should do and things we should not do. This morning, I want you to see a wonderful example of faithfulness. If you're not already there, take your Bible and turn to Daniel chapter 6. And I want to offer you four brief observations from a very familiar Bible story. Four brief observations about biblical faithfulness from this one chapter. And again, I I do this so you might pay attention to where your life and ambition is aimed. Quickly, the events of the first six chapters of the book of Daniel take place after Babylon has attacked Jerusalem and taken a first wave of Israelites into captivity. Among those taken as prisoners were Daniel and his three friends. When the book begins, Daniel is a very young man. But by the events of chapter 6, he's likely in his 80s. The book of Daniel offers us a portrait of biblical faithfulness in the most difficult of circumstances. Surrounded by temptation and pagan worship and evil rulers and influential men who wanted to take him down, Daniel remained faithful to God. I'll begin reading again in verse 1. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom and over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one to whom these satraps should give an account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Observation number one. Biblical faithfulness is cultivated over a long period of time. Biblical faithfulness is cultivated over a long period of time. What we encounter in Daniel 6 has already happened twice in the previous five chapters with both King Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar. Here again, Daniel has gained favor with the king, King Darius. In fact, the text tells us that King Darius plans to place Daniel into a position of tremendous influence over all the kingdom. Now, not everyone was thrilled about this decision. Look at verse four again. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful. And no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. There's a group of men that don't want Daniel in leadership. There's no reason to believe that their concern about Daniel is noble in any way. 
Every indication is that it's entirely self-serving, driven by selfish ambition and jealousy. They want him out of the way. But friends, here's what I want you to notice. Daniel's opponents, those who want to take him out, even they describe him as what? Verse 4, they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful. Sinclair Ferguson comments here, in all his relationships, he had been faithful. In relationship to the law, he had been faultless. Furthermore, in his devotion to the Lord, they knew that he was utterly predictable. I love that phrase. And may it be true of scores of Christians in this room right now, in his or her devotion to the Lord, they knew that he or she was utterly predictable. That sounds boring, but it's glorious. From the first time these government officials met and heard about Daniel until the day recorded in our text, Daniel was a man of unwavering integrity, of unflinching trust in Yahweh. He was honest and hardworking. He couldn't be purchased or manipulated. To put it simply, he was faithful. And in fact, don't miss this. By God's grace, Daniel was so faithful that the only way his opponents could attack him was to outlaw faithfulness to God. When I paused to think about this just yesterday, I wondered if faithfulness to God was outlawed, would I be found guilty? What about you, friend? If faithfulness to God was outlawed, would you be found guilty? Now, the, faith, the faithfulness Daniel's opponents affirm and the, the faithfulness Daniel exhibits in the rest of this chapter, this was, this was not a new development. This was the established pattern of Daniel's life. What we see in chapter 6 is precisely what we find in chapter 1. In fact, turn back there with me, fresh into captivity, torn away from home and family, tempted with all the pleasures of Babylon. What did Daniel do? Look at chapter 1 and verse 8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. If we take a step back and we ask the question, what was underneath Daniel's faithfulness? What motivated not just his desire to walk faithfully before God, but what actually produced a faithful lifestyle? Well, this is one of the places I would go to give you an answer to that question. And please hear this, because I think it's incredibly important as we 
want to make sure that we don't understand this call to pursue faithfulness as a call to grit your teeth and clench your fists and try harder than you've ever tried before to be faithful. If you hear this morning's message as simply that, then I have failed. Friends, faithfulness is not the result of mere effort and determination. Here's what I mean. Daniel's faithfulness grew out of the soil of satisfaction and delight in God. I can't see any other explanation for his life. Unless Daniel is already clinging to something or someone more satisfying than all the pleasures of Babylon, I think he caves. He caves in chapter one and he caves in chapter six. Again, to lean on Sinclair Ferguson, this is what he writes. He's writing specifically about what we find in chapter one. Somebody in Nebuchadnezzar's palace knew enough about the human heart to see that most men have their price and that good times, comfort, self-esteem, and a position in society are usually a sufficient bid for a soul. Sinclair is right. Unless, unless that heart is already so satisfied in something or someone better than all that Babylon has to offer. In other words, a call to pursue faithfulness is more fundamentally a call to delight in God. A a heart that is satisfied in God blossoms into a life that walks in faithfulness to God. Now, when I say that biblical faithfulness is cultivated over a long period of time, here's what I mean. Without, Without the Daniel resolve that he would not defile himself of chapter one, there would be no... Because he was faithful, no error or fault was found in him in chapter six. You see, Daniel didn't stumble into faithfulness. He grew in faithfulness over a lifetime of increasing satisfaction in God and increasing submission to his word. Between the moment of decision in chapter 1, verse 8, and chapter 6, verse 10, there were 10,000 seemingly insignificant steps of obedience day after day after day. Biblical faithfulness is cultivated over a long period of time. Observation number two. Biblical faithfulness doesn't disappear when suffering comes. Biblical faithfulness doesn't disappear when suffering comes. Look at verse 6 of chapter 6. 
Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps and the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. This is a true story. This really happened. And so in this moment, the promise of suffering is certain and it's severe. So how will Daniel respond? Look at verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Have you ever wondered what on earth does Daniel have to give thanks about at this point in the story? Biblical faithfulness, the kind marked by satisfaction in God and submission to his word, the kind of faithfulness that we see here, this kind of faithfulness doesn't disappear when suffering comes, but rather it shines in full brilliance when life is most difficult. I think we've all seen this in different ways. To give you just one example, and there are many, but we have a brother in this congregation right now who is suffering with cancer. He's physically weak and frail from the cancer treatments. This has not been and is not now an easy trial. Prior to his battle with cancer, I was often challenged by his faithfulness. But as helpful as he was before, watching him continue to walk faithfully in the midst of profound suffering, still manning his post as a greeter, this is the sort of faithfulness that teaches and shapes all those who witness it. And it invites all of us to deeper delight in the God who sustains him in his suffering. Let's continue in the text. Look at verse 11. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, 
the thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet and the signet of his lords that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him and sleep fled from him. Friends, did you notice what the king said to Daniel as Daniel was cast into the den of lions in verse 16? The king declared to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. Daniel's unwavering faith in the face of extreme suffering magnified the object of his faith. Daniel's God was worthy of worship and obedience even when it meant certain death. You see, suffering reveals what we treasure most. And for Daniel, his supreme treasure was revealed to be God. Observation number one, biblical faithfulness is cultivated over a long period of time. Observation number two, biblical faithfulness doesn't disappear when suffering comes. Observation number three, biblical faithfulness is fueled by good theology. Biblical faithfulness is fueled by good theology. Look at verse 19. Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths. And they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him, and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and 
Those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Notice two phrases, the first in verse 22, the second in verse 23. In verse 22, Daniel declares, my God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths. In verse 23, the text says about Daniel, he had trusted in his God. When the morning came, there was no doubt in Daniel's mind what had happened. His rescue was entirely the Lord's doing. But again, Daniel's quick affirmation of the Lord's protection and power was not an admission of something he discovered in the lion's den. In fact, flip back quickly to chapter 2. When God graciously answered Daniel's prayer and gave him divine understanding of Nebuchadnezzar's dream, what was his response? Well, I would describe it as a bit of a, a doxological eruption. Look at verse 20. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we ask of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. Daniel affirms the infinite wisdom and eternal power and unfailing faithfulness and absolute sovereignty of God. He declares that God is gracious and kind and merciful. There is no one like him, and therefore, God alone deserves Daniel's thanks and praise. Well, I want you to see Daniel's verbal affirmations of what is true about God. My own confidence that Daniel had good theology isn't simply because he said all the right things about God. Daniel didn't just talk a good theological game. He lived it. Think about it. He walked in God's wisdom. He rested in God's power. He trusted in God's faithfulness. He hoped in God's sovereignty. Redeemer family, I pray that the rich theological instruction you're receiving in all the ministries of this church and through the excellent books you read and conferences you attend and the Bible studies you're engaged in, I pray these will not simply serve to inform your mind, 
but I pray that they will transform your whole life. Now, this is not to diminish the profound importance of knowing your Bible and laboring to grasp the deep things of God. But for most of you, for most of you, how your theology shapes your life, your marriage and parenting, how you work and how you suffer, how you use your money and how you show mercy, this will be the most enduring impact you will have on others. It will be your faithfulness, not your theological flashiness, that points people to hope in God. Several of us witnessed a stunning example of this at the funeral service for Greg Deckert's mother yesterday. Ruth Deckert didn't profoundly impact the lives of her children and grandchildren and so many others because of the book she wrote or the public platform she had. No, as every testimony was spoken, this is what we heard. Ruth was faithful. Her theology shaped her life. It produced something. It produced kindness and thoughtfulness and hospitality and joy. Oh, friends, don't ever stop speaking the truth, but also don't ever underestimate how a faithful life magnifies the truth. Within our congregation, I've seen this kind of thing as well. I remember speaking with Sam and Caroline Henneman as they prepared for the birth of David a few years ago. I asked them if they had all the details worked out and, and if they needed anything. They shared with me that Paul and Patty Tattersall had offered to serve them, telling them that whenever the time came, just call, and they would be right over to care for Maggie so that Sam and Caroline could head to the hospital. Now, friends, this wasn't that long ago. At the time of this offering, Paul and Patty weren't in their 20s or 30s. So what motivates a couple in their 80s to offer to drop everything, to serve a young couple expecting their second child? Well, it's that the Tattersalls have good theology. And that theology isn't just something they talk about, but it's produced faithfulness. And that faithfulness has seeped into every area of their lives. And that is incredibly powerful, friends. Back to Daniel chapter 6. Perhaps this is what happened to King Darius. He heard Daniel's words. 
But what he couldn't ignore was Daniel's actions. And so he responds to Daniel's unwavering faith and God's miraculous deliverance with this. Look at verse 25. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. This is what we desire. As you walk, faithfully, you would magnify the God whom you love and delight in so that those watching would say there's something different, not just about the person, but about the one that person worships. May God grant us the grace and the strength and the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit to walk in faithfulness. Biblical faithfulness is cultivated over a long period of time. That's observation number one. Observation number two, biblical faithfulness doesn't disappear when suffering comes. Observation number three, biblical faithfulness is fueled by good theology. Good theology that shapes every corner of your life. Now, in any sermon about faithfulness, it would be inappropriate to conclude before pointing you to the one who is called faithful and true, the Lord Jesus Christ. Fortunately, this text very clearly directs our attention to the one Daniel prefigures. So with this, we'll conclude. Observation number four. Biblical faithfulness points us to the person and work of Jesus Christ. It is Jesus who makes faithfulness possible, and faithfulness then magnifies Jesus. As we've read through this chapter today, how does Daniel force our gaze forward to Christ? Like Daniel, men schemed against Jesus. Like Daniel, no charges would stick against Jesus. Like Daniel, Jesus was arrested while he was praying. Like Daniel, the politician of his day was unsuccessful in stopping his execution. Like Daniel, Jesus descended into the pit. It was covered and it was sealed. Like Daniel, Jesus' friends came to the tomb early. Like Daniel, when the stone rolls away, Jesus walks out alive. Like Daniel, it results in God's glory being declared among all the nations. 
unlike Daniel, Jesus actually died. And in his death, Jesus took sin and death upon himself in order to save us from sin and death. Oh, friends, as you resolve to pursue faithfulness, look to Daniel, but linger with Jesus. Let's pray.